0: Men's Alliance is a growing movement of tribes meeting weekly for a rugged outdoor workout and a real world devotion around a fire. We're flipping tires, swinging sledgehammers, talking about real struggles and getting pushed physically and spiritually to become the husbands, fathers and leaders God designed us to be. We'll get you out of isolation, out of your comfort zone and into something tribal, rugged and real. welcome to the men's alliance podcast i'm dave mills call sign goose i'm dusty parker call sign shadow and really excited about the special guest we've got with us today who i'm going to introduce in just a second but first i just want to um make a little announcement here for our newest men's alliance tribe ibc tribe ibc tribe is our first tribe in baltimore maryland Oh, so they just launched last week um really excited about that. They're in white marsh suburb of Baltimore. If you are in the Baltimore area, looking to plug in with a men's Alliance tribe, go to our website, men's Alliance click on join and click on that map. And it'll uh, show you where IBC tribe is their address, uh, who to contact when they meet all that info. If you're listening to this and you are not in that area and want to start a tribe also go to the same website and it will Show you how to start one in your area. Just click on that big button. So really excited about IBC Tribe. That's at Emmanuel Baptist Church in White Marsh, Maryland. Also, April twenty second, we are having a Tribe launch event here in Midlothian. That's going to be hosted at Swift Creek Presbyterian. Um, free event. Just go to our website, click on Tribe Launch Training. Uh, it's a free event. We are going to train you um, on one day saturday april 22nd we're going to train you how to launch a tribe back at your home church or if you don't want to have a tribe affiliated with the church we can help you launch one in your neighborhood uh, we have them at a hoa uh, we even have one in county jail if you want to start a tribe there we can help you start one just about anywhere so april 22nd tribe launch training any other big announcements
1: let's get to our guest
0: man. <laughs> yeah man i'm excited, I'm excited. So, uh, Ryan Harder is, I, I'm so excited for you just to introduce yourself and share your story, but guys, uh, Ryan Harder, Christian man on the Chesterfield County school board, right? Which I believe how many people are on a school board. So there's five of us, only you're the, five. You're the only the man, right? five. Yes, I am. You're the only, only man, only man representing very small. I didn't realize that there's only five. I always pictured a school board being like
2: a large board. Yeah. Now it's five, one from every magistral district. Okay. Uh, Okay.
0: So, uh, this is cool. This is something different for us. We get the opportunity today to hear from a man on the inside, right? Christian man on the County school board, um, to share that side of things. And then I know you've got more things going just beyond that, what you're doing now, which you can tell us about. So, um, we were talking before we were recording today, uh, you were also air force i was so uh air oh, force brother. guy tell us a little yeah <laughs> shadows outnumbered today man um, tell us a little bit about um when you got
2: out of the air force how did you get started into education how that happen yeah so um actually the education portion started when i was in the air force yet okay um i had an opportunity to go back and teach technical training for the uh Security Forces Academy back down at Lackland Air Force Base at the Military Police Academy. And uh, that's really where I think my love for teaching bloomed, to be able to see young trainees coming right out of basic training, Uh, and then we would get them for about four months, and we would take them all the way through Uh, basically that initial training right from when they come out of basic training all the way to they're ready to go to their first duty uh, location and perform the duties that uh, is expected of a military police officer. And um, eventually, later on down the road, I deployed to Kandahar, Afghanistan, and uh, led a team of, uh, there was about 20 of us that were on you know, the day shift. And uh, two or three of those young airmen were airmen that, they're not from my base currently, I was from Beale, deployed from there, but I was their training instructor when they came through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to get to actually deploy to a semi-hostile environment, uh, and And to see them perform um, and just to be to see them how they've grown over the course of two or three years from the last time I've seen them uh, and to be able to handle themselves and be a young adult, that really clicked in my mind. And so when the inevitable day came and the decision was made between me and my wife that you know for our family it was probably in the best of our interest to move forward out of the military, we decided to come back to Virginia. My wife is from Virginia, I'm originally from Pennsylvania. And uh, my wife's family's from here and uh, we decided on the Richmond area. And uh, I did make the decision before I got out of the Air Force that I wanted to teach. That's Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. Um, I had a brother-in-law who was a teacher uh, and then he was an administrator down here. And uh, so I'd already had heard, not just in Virginia, but everywhere, they're short on teachers. And I thought, well, number one, that'll be a guaranteed job, (laughs) but two, it's something that I truly love. So we moved to Virginia. Um, I before we I we even left our last duty station in California. I had signed up for the career switcher program. So I had gone through. Uh, that was already set up when I got here. First teaching job I got was down in Prince George County, eighth, okay. eighth grade civics and economics. Oh so, man, taught down there for uh, for two years, uh, and then received the job offer up here in Chesterfield County and uh doing the same thing teaching civics and economics eighth grade kind of found my niche um a lot of people shy away from middle school yeah uh but you know i thought that uh i thought that that was really neat because those are the most influential years yeah. in the you know in a kid's life and um i've i've had the opportunity now after serving in that position for a couple of years and then being on the school board to actually even be able to hand some of these kids their diplomas now as they walk across the stage and they graduate oh, because man, i'm on the that's school board cool. Uh, you know, last year I got to hand my own son his diploma when he walked across the stage. So those are things I never imagined. I never imagined I'd be on the school board. Yeah. When I was in my second year of teaching, um, there was a bit of a shakeup here in the county. There was uh, all four member or five members that were on the school board at the time were not seeking re-election. A group of people reached out to me and they said, "You know, we think that you'd be really great to be on the school board." So after a little bit of soul searching and uh, you know, speaking with my wife because it really has to be a family ordeal. Yeah. You know, to, um, to put yourself out there, uh, in the public space. Uh, and it's a lot because you are sharing yourself now with, with everyone else. Yeah. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people think of. They think that, uh, you run for public office cause you're looking for something else, but it's the ultimate volunteer opportunity. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 20 plus hours a week, you know, a lot of times. And, uh, ended up winning that election and i've been representing the Matoga district uh, on the school board since january 1st of uh, 2020. okay okay
0: awesome so yeah i love how you found it fulfilling Mm -hmm. right when you were as a teacher teaching those airmen Mm -hmm. man that's that's really cool how you found something that you were good at and passionate about and rewarding uh for for your
2: transition trust me i never thought that i'd be a teacher i was not the best student uh in high school and I always thought to myself, boy, if there's one thing I would never do, it would be teach. Yeah, yeah. And that was when I was in high school. But it's, it, it is, uh, you know, really crazy how things change in your life. And you go through different seasons and uh, different things become important to you. And then you realize that something that you thought you would never do is actually a passion that you have. Yeah. yeah. Wow, so you great. decided
1: one day that you just want to make a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Teacher,
2: I said, I want to be rich and I want to be a public school teacher. <laughs> Man, so what was your what was your experience like um, in the public school system? Yeah, how would you characterize that? Well, I got to tell you that it's a it was a bit of a culture shock in a way because I'm coming out of an environment where a military environment number one the the teaching environment that I was went in within air education air education training command uh, it was a little bit different. Uh, you know, I mean they're. It was a little one, bit. It was one sided. <laughs> it was one sided. Military training was, was different. And I was expecting that when I came into public schools. But it took me as myself a little bit of time to get adjusted to that, that I was not in the military. Everyone did not have to listen to me 100% of the time. And uh, so that transition was a little bit tough. But I think that it helped me grow as a person uh it it actually really helped me with my transition out of the military because uh a lot of friends who i know who've who've gone on and served a long time uh that that transition's tough uh it really is and um you know to to come into uh to leave an environment that you're comfortable in and to kind of come out here into the real world with, you know as well you we always yep. say is come to the real world. it's a transition yeah. and it yeah. it doesn't just happen overnight it's years i'm still transitioning after yeah. being out for 10 years. Oh man, that's daunting for me to hear
0: cause I'm only a <laughs> couple months. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm like, how do you do this? Yeah. Uh, so so it
2: might take years is what I'm hearing. <laughs> it, it, it does, but you know what? It's it's not that it's tough. It's yeah. just, uh, it, it does take time. You will have days where you will truly miss the structure that you came from. Yeah. Um, and you wish that you could help provide some of that structure here. Yeah. 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 Now, so when did you start teaching? What year was that? So that was in, that was 2014. Okay. So you taught for about six years? Uh, it was five. Okay. Uh, so it was 2014-15 school year, which led all, all the way up to the 1920 school year, and the election was in 2019. So um, that year prior, um, I made the decision to step into another career. My brother-in-law, who was in education, he also... Um, You know, after about 14, 15 years in education, he had left and had a family friend who'd started a business out of uh, Northern Virginia uh, and it was doing recruiting and things of that nature. And so I jumped on board with them, left education because once you're on the school board, you can't teach because it's conflict of interest. Right, right, right. And so um, what ended up happening was, uh, you know, I transitioned to that. Uh, I won the election, was on the school board, but then also decided, you know, I think that this is probably the ideal time in my life for me and my wife to start our own business, which is something that I always wanted to do. So yeah. uh, back in 2020, right in the midst of the <laughs> pandemic. Perfect
0: you know, time to start a business. We
2: did. We started our own insurance agency, Harder Insurance Agency. And nice. um, okay, so we uh, do personal lines, commercial lines, life insurance. And uh, it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made. So it's truly... Uh, it is just me, and my wife running it, and um, but working for yourself is very very rewarding. I love it. I love that story um uh, and and you know, I think this we're
0: about to see a theme here, whether it's Kandahar or starting your own business, starting your own business takes courage, yeah, that's a scary thing, right it is when you when you go from a security mm-hmm. of a of a salaried position with a paycheck to you know i'm gonna um. Uh, you know, try out this entrepreneurial itch yeah. that I've had for a while mm-hmm. and go for it and see what happens. So tell us, one of my questions I've always wondered, and I've always been too embarrassed to ask, what does the school board do? All right. What, so, what do you do? The five, the five of you,
2: what, what are y'all doing? They so ar-
1: they argue.
0: <laughs>
2: well, yeah, but besides for <laughs> arguing, and, and to be honest, I feel that uh, with everything that's happened over the last three years, our school boards actually worked well together even though we may have some different ideology perspectives, I think we've always tried to do what is in the best interest of kids. And that's ultimately what it should be. So the school board's main focus is pretty much policy and money. We are the ones that approve policies uh, when it's brought to us that, you know, a particular policy may need to be changed or we need a particular policy in place that's not currently there. Uh, We're the ones that, vote on that to, to make that happen. And also how the money is spent within the schools. Um, so every year the superintendent creates a budget, uh, a budget of needs of what he sees as money that's going to be needed to accomplish the mission for the next year. You know, just like with any other budget, even like when you're in the military, then our job is to, uh, poke holes in that, make sure that everything that's identified is truly a critical need because it's taxpayer money. And, um, and a lot of times you know there there may be things where we decide well, does that really need to be done this year or we could do it next year now you got to make sure that you're never pushing back things that have to do with any type of student growth but it may be if we were going to buy 12 buses for replacement that maybe we're just going to buy six buses to replace this year and things of that nature so Gotcha. I, I would say a good portion of our time is tied up between policy and money. The whole operational side of how schools function, yeah, um, and really their directives that they get come from the superintendent. They all work for the superintendent. We have one employee. We are the only ones that hire and fire a superintendent. Super. Hmm. Everyone else answers to the superintendent. He's the only one that answers to. The school what board. What is the uh, size of the uh, the the
0: realm, the AOR, if you will, yeah, for the superintendent? How much is the superintendent
2: covering? So the superintendent has uh, sixty four thousand children underneath him. Okay, and he has roughly ten thousand employees. Okay, so it's large. It, yeah, be, that's a lot. So, like, how many schools? So we have a total of, I believe, it's seventy four schools. If okay, you count our tech centers. We have an early learning center. That's per one superintendent yes. and per one board.
0: Yes, one school board, one superintendent,
2: seventy ish. Schools. Yeah. Okay. So in the Matoka district, right. for what I represent, I have three high schools, two middle schools, and six elementary schools. So That's... is it a, is it like a volunteer thing, or do you guys get paid? Is it so it's a it's a it's a stipend. It's like a seventeen thousand dollar stipend once a year. Okay. Oh man. So it's not a full time job. No. <laughs> right. No, but it is like a full time job.
1: Oh right my now. gosh.
0: Yeah. Of course. Okay. What's, um, can you, uh, put you on the spot a little bit? Mm -hmm. Can you give us an example of a type of a policy Mm -hmm. that you guys, uh, maybe enacted or something while you were on doing that? What's a policy y'all passed?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, policies evolve from really two different paths. Number one, the state legislature votes on something and there's a mandatory change that we have to make. Yep. When that happens, uh, you know normally it's a very short process. There's a timeline of when it needs to happen. So it could be as simple as just wor- very small wording changing in an existing policy just to make sure that it matches state code. Um, policies that were brought to us um, over the last couple of years, you know, there has been policies on virtual learning. Oh, yeah. That has, uh, you know, that we had to do different things that we had to suspend at different times that come out of our policies, depending on the situation. There's been policies that uh, ended up being pretty controversial over stuff. And, uh, you know, part of it is, um, and I'll tell you, probably the most controversial one, I'll just kind of get right to it, yeah. has been uh, protection of uh, transgender children. Now, this policy was derived from the state and how this happened was that the governor had directed through legislation that the Virginia Department of Education establish a model policy for the treatment of transgender students in schools. The Virginia Department of Education then created what they call the model policy and then they are pretty, we answer to the Virginia Department of Education. That's who all public schools answer to. And when that was put in place, um, basically, we were kind of given a timeline. But unfortunately, the political wins of all this is that there was not much more substance in that thing of what was already happening to schools. We already have anti-bullying policies. Right. Right. That's Um, my question. As I'm sitting here, I'm like, isn't every student already protected? Every student is already protected. Uh, all of the same rights that were identified in there. Uh, unfortunately, this was one side of the, of the political aisle trying to get a win by saying that they're forcing something into schools. Yep. So my question was when this all happened was I, I, I truly felt that this was just, uh, this was political rhetoric. It's something that we're already doing. Why is there something more that we need? And um, unfortunately, there was a bit more language that was in there that, came from a Supreme Court case, actually, that happened here in Virginia. It happened up in um, Gloucester County a few years prior to this. I believe it was 2018. There was a student that wanted to use the bathroom of the opposite sex mm-hmm. and um, not the biological sex. The school board at the time, the the school and the school board said no to it. It was appealed to the local circuit court. The circuit court said, you can't violate this person's rights. And they said that it fell under their, their rights. It was then appealed up to the Virginia Supreme Court and all uh, to the Court of Appeals and all the way through the Supreme Court. And they all upheld that lower decision. So that kind of set the president in the state of Virginia that uh, you have to allow that. And so we sought legal counsel uh, on the on the matter you know not just the counsel that we have for the school board but even legal counsel from outside and overwhelmingly kind of what we were told was you have to have this policy in place you you guys have to adopt this policy of letting people use whatever restroom they want yes okay now now the 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 flip side to that is that really nothing has Changed in schools. We've had transgender kids in schools for a long time. Yeah. And what ends up happening with them is the principal normally works with them and their parents, and they identify what facilities they're going to use for the year, kind of what's the course of action. Just like mm-hmm. we would do for a student with an IEP. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, kind of come up with a game plan and that's been happening. That is still happening. Yeah. That is still happening. However, what this really does is take away the bite of, you know, if you were to have a student who Vehemently said, I want to use the girls' bathroom, or I want to use the boys' bathroom. Um, at the end of the day, when push came to shove, you couldn't technically deny it, you know. And that I feel is something that, uh, unfortunately, that takes away a right of privacy of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we there. The good thing about all this policy is, like I said, it is kind of political wins, in a way people were kind of going back and forth. We had people for it. We had people against it. When the Virginia Department of Education issues an updated model policy, it will be adopted by us. So pretty much what it's saying is you have to put a policy in place whenever the VDOD updates that. Pretty much we have to update our policy. So there has been some proposals over the last couple months, still waiting to to really hear what those new proposals are gonna be or if there is even gonna be any new proposals. Uh, we were told that there was gonna be some types of p- proposals that would maybe exclude that piece of it. We haven't heard anything yet.
0: Yeah, so one of the things that I'm, I'm hearing from you and I'm learning and make sure I got this correct is that the school board isn't making this decision. It's coming down to you in this case Um, you're saying a 2018 Supreme court ruling. Yes. Right. So like this is stuff that is already
2: decided above the school board level. Right. right? And you're just carrying it out. Right. And it's kind of the, it's kind of the unfortunate thing when something becomes a law, you have to follow it. Right. right. And uh, you know, that's really what the case was as a school board, we didn't get together and decide that we wanted to on our own do something of this nature. Right. I mean, because I think all of us on the school board already had felt, you know, and and to be honestly, some members on the school board actually, you know, are dealing with some of these things in their real life. Yeah. But I felt that that most of us on the school board, we are all under an understanding that these kids are protected the way that we have it right now. Right. Um. Unfortunately, I felt that this was nothing more than than a political push from one side. Sure. To get something on the books to say that. This is what we've been able to push across the line, yeah. but unfortunately, yes. Once that has became law and a model policy came down from the Virginia Department of Education, yeah, we had no choice. And and speaking with legal counsel, the question was, well, what if we choose to ignore this? The response we got back from legal counsel is, you'll be sued and you'll lose. Yeah. So now you're not. They're not suing Ryan Harder. They're suing the county. Mm-hmm. They're suing the taxpayer. And who's, so
1: who's suing?
2: Well, anyone that would decide so the NAACP, the ACLU, um, and I know that some of the other counties across the state yeah. that had put up a little bit more of a fight, kind of the same thing. So at the end of the day, then you're rolling the dice with the taxpayers' money. Yeah. You know, so at a point of something that you're gonna lose anyway, do you wanna throw money out just to say that you kind of you're doing the same thing the other side's doing then? You're just signaling, right? Yeah. yeah you know but at at the cost of the
0: taxpayer so when it comes to the bathroom issue at at public schools the decision if if parents want to affect that decision Mm -hmm. um where would be the best place for us to do that what is the what is the right government level of our voting impacting that decision yeah
2: you're members of of the House of Delegates and your State Senate, to be honest, uh, to keep pressure on now. I do know that the governor's administration was already proposed changes. Yeah. It went through, whenever they proposed changes, there's a comment time, uh, comment period on it, uh, was about 30 days. They received a lot of comments and this was back, I believe in November and it kind of got tabled and then they came into session. So we're hoping that relatively soon, we are going to hear that, but if parents are passionate about advocating for this, you need to call your legislator. You need so to send an email to your legislator. The state, state level.
0: The state. Because. Legis, yep. State legislature. State delegate. Mm-hmm. State governor. Mm-hmm. Right? So when Right?
1: So when we see like on YouTube, not our school, not your yeah. school board, but people reading their speech about whatever thing they don't agree with mm-hmm. and the school board is just sitting there, you know, like, like when's he going to be done? They're talking to the wrong people.
2: Well, no, it, it, it really depends on what the topic is. So yeah. I'll tell you that in Chesterfield, we kind of have a policy that we don't, we don't respond from the so public comment. We want to give that to the folks to make sure that you get that particular period of time, you get to come up, say what you want. And at a later time, you'll probably get a response. But we will not engage because what ends up happening a lot of times it ends up being an argument. Yeah. Um, so we don't engage from the dais with speakers that are coming up because you could end up just getting an argument for 15 or 20 minutes. No yeah. one really gets anywhere. That's just, what the people want, though. I know it is. I know <laughs> it is. But that's good to hear, right? You're yeah. giving
0: them the platform. Yeah. Yeah. They get their, their moment. And,
2: and that's what the whole point of it is. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times, like I said, staff will follow up. But, a, you know, a lot of times people want to come out and talk about a decision that's about to happen. Which is good, I mean, that's the whole part of democracy. That's what we want, we want people to have a voice. People reach out through email, they reach out through phone. So we're available for that, but they also have the opportunity to come, get on the record that they spoke up about something or they um, are in support of something or they're in opposition to something. Now, like I said, unfortunately with some things, if, if something is tied to a law, if we're legally bound, if we are told by legal counsel unfortunately you have to do the x y or z there are some there are a lot of things that our hands are tied on until that would change so like I said in this particular opinion uh, with what's going on your delegates and your state senators um, you know that will keep the pressure on this conversation to keep going and once that new decision that new wording is handed to the Virginia Department of Education we will update our policies off of what they're saying the model policy is, because what we've adopted is exactly their their policy, their wording, right.
0: Yeah. so one of the one of the questions um, that I think a lot of people have I'm really excited about hearing your take on is the books, mm, the yeah. books that are in the schools, yeah. right. I'm watching a video just the other day, and it's this uh, kid mm-hmm. that had like a middle schooler on there, maybe his elementary, and uh, he was just reading yeah. at the school board meeting from one of these books. So we're going to take a quick break uh hear from our sponsor and refill your coffee and then we'll be back with ryan talking about the books in our public schools
1: hey this is dusty shadow parker i just wanted to take a break here and tell y'all help us reach more men we cannot sharpen men into the husbands fathers and leaders that god designed us to be without your financial support your donations enable us to launch and sustain tribes at more churches and reach more men with the gospel of Christ. Men's Alliance is a 501c3 nonprofit, so your financial support is tax deductible. Go to mensalliancetribe.com/support to join our team. Now go refill up your coffee and enjoy the rest of this podcast.
0: all right welcome back we are here with ryan harder and ryan tell us what is going on in public schools and in school boards with everything that we're seeing about these these books that are pushing uh homosexuality on elementary middle school stuff like this uh very graphic books that we're seeing clips of on youtube
2: yeah Uh, demystify all this for us yeah well I, i wish there was a way to kind of demystify it but the truth is You know a lot of that has happened a lot of that stuff wasn't in schools and what we're trying to do is you know first off no one backed the truck up in the middle of the night and just put all these in the school library i I think the biggest thing that everyone's waking up from now is for the past 20 years Mm. as parents we've all kind of stepped away from our children's education to be honest with you yeah in a way we have we we've trusted the schools to you know as we should to take our children and to develop them, you know? And that's how we have more services. I mean, teachers have become the doctor, they've become the counselor, they become the teacher. In a lot of cases, they become the parent. And um, so what ended up kind of really coming to our attention over the last probably year and a half, two years, was some of these books that were in school that any rational person would say, that's not appropriate to be in a school. I think what we started seeing was as we started to scratch the surface on that, we said, well, how did these books get into school? Is this just an activist movement? Um, and that's not really the case with a lot of it, to be honest with you, a lot of the authors of some of these books wrote good children's books before that did not have pornography Mm. in it or did not go down those roads. So Mm. when librarians are ordering books, um, what what they've traditionally done is there's particular authors that receive tons of awards who they've ordered books from before, you know, it, imagine it's like uh, you, your favorite car you like, and now all of a sudden it just only goes electric and you're like, you know? Yeah. So you, you're always like Dodge it's trucks. Su- it's it, subtle. You're right. It's, you know what I mean? Oh, and then
0: you're you, lo- Dodge trucks. You're speaking my, my love language, right? Yeah. Hand.
2: Yeah. And so then, <laughs> you know, what ends up happening is it just changes and you just realize it changed and you're like, wait a minute, that ain't what we want. And so, and then it's like, oh, it's like a Toyota truck at
0: that point. Yeah, well,
1: Dodge just, <laughs> let's be clear. Let's be clear, they're Ram trucks. Dodge won't even carry their name anymore. He, he's he's triggered. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> it's a Ram truck. Dodge is like, we don't want nothing to do with that.
2: Yeah. So we, we started having a lot of parents come out, and they're identifying books because we have thousands of books in our libraries. So the question that we posed, you know, naturally to the administration is, you know the, some of these books are just wrong. What are they doing here? And so I think everyone started to scramble. I, you know, to be honest, I don't think anyone really realized that some of these books were there and how graphic some of them were. So what we started doing is there's always been a process in place to challenge books in a school, um because it's very it, it also gets in the weeds. like if a school board were to say, hmm, we want to pull all those books that also becomes a legal challenge because that's kind of ties into first amendments, you know, and and Mm -hmm. you could have all the arguments in the world about, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's not, it it shouldn't be there in the first place, which I agree with. The majority of the stuff should not be there in the first place and definitely shouldn't be in elementary schools or definitely shouldn't be in middle schools. Now, some of this stuff, uh, some of the most graphic stuff, it should you should have to be 18 years old to buy it from the 7-Eleven. It's on the top shelf, right? Right, right. So, and so, uh, you know, that's the type of stuff that we want to encourage parents to challenge. So the challenge process is a parent basically says, I don't think this book in my child's school is appropriate. Then they go through a process. They pull the book. They uh, The first step is where they talk with the principal. A lot of times, probably 95% of the time, the principal is going to say, yes, that book is not appropriate to be in school. So, um, if not, then it kind of goes through a committee finally, you know, it, it, it makes its rounds and we would hear about it if a particular book, if, you know, a lot of times the situation is solved before it would get to that. So then the other question is, well, how, now that we have a process in place for addressing these books and removing them or making sure that they're in a more appropriate location, because a book, a book may be, as long as it's not showing pornography or something, maybe a bit more appropriate for a high school kid, but definitely not appropriate for an elementary school kid. And so what we wanted to make sure was that the process is in place for going forward, How what is like kind of not really like a rating system, but what are we doing to verify these books? So the old way of how librarians for the longest time were just trusted to put these books on the shelves, and it was normally requests for, hey, there's going to be teachers doing specific assignments throughout the year that maybe this book would be great. If there was enough of them on hand, we can, you know, hand one out to every student what we are going through now is a process just to make sure that there's more eyes on that purchase process of books than there was in the past. So the more people to ask questions of more people are signing for it. Yeah, uh, More people are putting themselves on the line. It's going to make more people be involved in the process. But you know, some of those books, I mean, you was absolutely right to me. I was just as shocked to sit up there to hear some of that stuff was in the schools and uh, my personal opinion, not appropriate for schools, but there is, like I said, uh, what, I, what I've what i learned is it, it, it can be more challenging than just simply saying, oh, take that book and get it out. Um,
0: right. right, sure, because if everybody said that about whatever book they don't yes. like, then there's gonna be like two books left in the library. Yes. Um, so there is a process in place. Mm-hmm. That's good to hear. You're saying like 95% of them can just be done mm-hmm. um, at the principal level, level mm-hmm. right? Um, and now there's also more rigor uh, being put into the purchasing process. Yeah. And
2: also, the parents can opt in. We're trying to make it a, a change that you pretty much have to opt out. That Synergy is the program that we use for students here where you get your students' grades and things. Also, you yeah. update their bus routes, stuff like that. That you could opt in for a notification whenever your child checks out a book. Right. So you see what that book was that they checked out, and um, you could put on there if you don't want them to check out a book it's a little bit more cumbersome for the librarians but it's another level of protection. And that's what we want to do is provide as many tools as we can. Yeah. Okay.
1: See the things that I hear that I just want to get your sure point on is like this is the stuff I hear and I'm just going to throw it all out like schools are there's fights, you know, as far as like middle school is mm-hmm. what's scary to me because that's the age of my kid. He's going in next year. That there's, you know, kids are getting beat up in the bathrooms every day that all the kids are vaping that kids can identify as a cat and they're being walked around as with a leash you know um what like when i think of middle school i think of the show world's toughest jails where you just throw your (laughs) kid in it's like good luck buddy i'll see you in three years if you make it out on the other side yeah so it's like and like, you know, pronouns, like when first day of school, the teacher's asking you, what do you want to be called? Stand up and tell everybody what you are. And do your parents know? Well, we won't tell them, you know, stuff like that. Like, is that stuff really happening?
2: So I'll, I'll start from the beginning. Uh, you know, the vaping and fights, unfortunately, I think it transitioned from when we were in school and kids would smoke cigarettes or whatnot. Um, you know, vaping is definitely not allowed um, yeah. in school. Uh, you received the same consequences you would have using anything else. So, you know, is there kids because it is more you're you're able to hide it a little bit more? Do you have more kids probably abusing it like in the bathroom or something? Yes. But what we have is principals are on patrols. We have teachers during transition that are stationed outside of the bathrooms, um, you know, in, in most of our schools to make sure that we're seeing people go in and go out. Kids are really great at that age of telling on other kids. Of yeah. saying that they've gone in and you know Johnny's blowing smoke clouds out of uh, out of the stall, and um, so with, with the vaping and things like that, they receive the same consequences that they would for any other type of tobacco. So it isn't in a way that we we condone it or anything like that. But but you know you do, and and I don't. I really probably think it's less kids than it was when we were smaller and kids would smoke or dip or something in school. Oh, really? um, secondly, on the fights. Um, I think that we have seen an increase over the last two years since kids have been back of trying to kind of center what is a normal and, uh, you know, trying to teach them again of what behavior is unacceptable. If you fight in our schools, you're gone. Um, and, That is, a. a, there's actually going to be a letter going out today. Every parent's probably going to get it in the mail in probably about two, three days. So if you have kids in school, you're going to get a letter from the superintendent. And that letter is pretty much asking parents to tighten up a little bit with their kids to kind of say, listen, we need your help too, because teachers are on the front line here. And, you know, if your child's coming to school and just being disrespectful to that teacher, the teacher don't have control over them. The administrators don't have that great of control over them. We need your help. And that's really all that letter saying is we need you to be a partner in this um you know to be honest i don't think that there's any more fights than there were like pre-covid you yeah. know to be honest with you um i i taught in salem church middle school you know there was maybe two or three fights a year that happened in the school um yeah that know, got, got known about you know what i mean well you know i would say that if there's an assault if there if one student assaults another student it's going to be on the parents to press charges with the police yeah we cannot give information to parents a lot of times this will happen a parent will say well i want to know what happened to the other kid we can't tell you what other punishment the other kid received right if they want to tell you their parents want to tell you that's fine but um you know whenever we do have you know fights and it's handled like any other type of misbehavior depending on the seriousness of it there may be a bit more involved. And in. if it's a couple kids that shove each other a little bit, okay, the The police may not take them from the school. Um, but if there is a serious altercation, like we had a couple at Meadowbrook uh, last year where we actually had parents come in and initiate a fight with other students. Wow. Yeah. And that becomes a security threat. Um, and I'm coming from a world of, yeah. of security forces. Uh, of security. <laughs> so all of our schools now, we have access control going into our schools, So there's no more like, there's no more hard keys. Mm-hmm. It's all swipe badge. So we could tell who comes in when they go out. Uh when you come into our schools now, we're in the process of almost uh it's like an entrapment area. You come in first, we call the vestibule. So you get you get buzzed in the first door, and then you can only get into the office. There's no more of the doors are gonna open and you could go through the school. So we like, are, like a jail. Like a jail. <laughs> Pretty much <laughs> like, like a jail. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but like I said, that's to that's to protect from just like I said, some other Outside situations right. spilling into the school. No, right, that's yeah, um, good. Camera systems, things like that, have all been updated. We've put a ton of money on it. So when something does happen in a school, we're able to to have eyes on it. I mean, you could see a zit on someone's face from a mile away with the camera systems that we have now. Right. You know, and all these security upgrades were a couple million dollars. Um, as far as uh, like pronouns and things of that nature, of um, you know, normally uh, a teacher should not be asking a student particularly what their pronouns are. Uh, if a student happens to want to share that they have a particular pronoun, a lot of times what happens is maybe one student who do it and everyone thinks they're supposed to do it then. yeah, You know, and, uh, but it's common for a teacher to to say, you know, Bobby, do you want to, be, you know, what do you want to be called? Bob? Yeah. You know, or something of that nature. It's not meant to be, no, I want to be called Jane or something of that. One of the other big, I think, misconceptions um, that's been out there is that teachers or schools would try to hide the fact that if a child is wanting to identify as something else. So maybe they're coming to school and 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 John is coming to school and saying that John is Jane and and John wants to identify as Jane. And, uh, you know, that child is going through something, you know, for some reason. And uh, I think to myself always, you, you would have to be pretty disconnected as a parent to not know that mm-hmm. uh, in the first place. But secondly... Um, you could probably, you could guarantee that that school within a certain period of time um, is going to have a conversation with that parent about what is going on. Now, the law strictly prohibits a teacher from calling saying, whoa, you know that John showed up as Jane. Oh, you did? Okay, cool, bye. Now, as a teacher, what you can do is you can call and say, hey, I just wanted to, to check it like first two weeks of school. Hey, we're having a back-to-school night you know do you you want to sign up to to come for Jane and I'm like what do you mean Jane you know so i mean mm-hmm. there's tactful ways basically the law prohibits the specific contact only to out a child yeah. that may be going through something however like i said most normal beings through how we interact if you think about it that way it it, it would it would come out those parents are going to be notified and if they're not knowing that their child is doing that um you know so, you know what would be my
1: resources if my, my kid comes home and says, hey, my teacher uh, has a beard and wears a dress and wants to be yeah. called Mrs. You know Schmuckatelli. What do I do as a parent?
2: So first thing you want to do uh, is reach out to that school administrator. Um, and you want to talk to the administrator and let them know that, you know, unfortunately we can't discriminate against someone if they want to come in and work just like most other workplaces. Yeah. Uh, it becomes a challenge, you know? So, um, you can let them know that you're not comfortable with your child being in that environment you want them to be in a different class. Okay. Um, you know, that's really the route. That's good to know that that's the route. That's the route that you can go with that. Yeah. Um, you said, you said you'd contact who the principal, you know, you want to talk to the principal of school administration. Now there are a number of factors that a lot of people don't see. Uh, anytime, you know, we have a student that, you know, I've had a number of friends that call say, hey, you know, my child got in this class and they're just not really doing good with this teacher. Can I get them to another class? You know, I like to remind them, I say, listen, here's what you could do. Here's the steps you could do. I have to stay neutral on this um, because it really isn't any of my operational role. But this is what tools you have to do it. But some of the things that that are tough is class sizes you know, if all of a sudden yeah. you have someone now that yeah. uh, you have a class, everybody wants to be in Teacher of the Year's class, right? Right. You know, yeah. there's a particular number of students, and when they are scheduling, you got to think about these students, especially circuit in the middle school and high school. You have all your electives, you have your music, you have art, you have PE, you have lunch. I mean, these are all pieces of an enormous puzzle that have to fit together. The operation of a school, um, I, I don't think people realize how much effort goes into it, but you got to think you got over a thousand kids. That they make it work every day, where these kids, you know, are in a particular class at a time. These teachers are here to cover them, and they go all the way through the year. Well, you take one of those pieces out for some reason, you have a teacher that leaves, or you have a student that wants to move somewhere else. Another piece of the puzzle has to be moved to fit that. Yeah. So it, it becomes a bit of a challenge. So I would say that you know, probably ninety nine percent of the time, our our principals work with our parents on situations to make sure that. Those students and those parents are comfortable. Uh, it really comes down, you know, when, when something, an when accommodation can't be made for something, it really comes down to there is a logistical way that I can't do this. And that's really what ends up coming down to be the limitations sometimes of public schools and the limitations of not having as many teachers as we would like to have. And that's just not Chesterfield, that's every locality. And how many kids we actually you know have in our schools and there's a new development going up every week yeah
0: so let me ask you what mm-hmm. was it like or is it like um as a as a man on the school board what's it yeah. like uh you know i see you kind of as a you know you're, you're one of our insiders right mm-hmm. there's the, the public school system in my in my view is is largely run by women mm-hmm. right? it's, a, it's a heavily uh feminized uh aspect of our
2: culture what was that experience like yeah so i think that uh, for the longest time education was more of a female focused um you know career field you know for lack of a better term a career option we are seeing that there is an importance to have more males involved in education absolutely and that is really comes down to the whole role model piece to, to be honest with you and so we've done a lot of I think education as a whole has done initiatives to try and uh, to try to recruit more men into education. So being the lone man on the board, it really doesn't bother me uh, at all. Um, you know I, I don't really look at it that way. Um, I know that that all of us are working for the same thing, but I know that we need more men to get involved yeah. in education. And we st- studies have shown that uh, you know, male students sometimes will feel better with a male teacher. Mm -hmm. And they're going to learn better. Um, And it provides that role model. Sometimes they don't have that at home. Um, And uh, you're more likely to have a single mother at home than you are to have a single father. And so it's really important, uh, I think, that we, you know, keep our eye on the ball of encouraging males to go into it. I mean, because like I said, it's almost like the nursing field. It's just kind of like, uh, you know, you don't, you know, males would normally not go into a nursing right. field because you kind of, well, nurse is always a traditional woman's job. Well, that's kind of been the same mindset with education, I think. And yeah. uh, we really have to kind of, we we have to try to change that because we need to encourage more role models, more male role models to be involved in kids' lives.
0: I agree, I've always, you know, when my kids, um, we got four kids um, and I've had them at various times and and ages and and different kids, I've had them in the public school system here in elementary middle and high school. Mm -hmm. Currently, um, we've got a homeschool except my oldest is in public high school. Um, so I've gone through this and we've always sought out the male teachers, right? Mm -hmm. When there's an option, when there's an option and Mm -hmm. it's always rare, right? It's always like, oh man, this grade, this grade, there's a male teacher, right? We would always try to get them in there and our boys always did better. When they had the male teacher, whether it was for their whole grade mm. or just one subject, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I agree there's, there's definitely a need for more men teaching, teaching school. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. Um you said something earlier that I wanted to go back to about, um, we were talking about the pronouns and stuff and you were like, the parents should probably, would probably know, right? Yeah. And And at the very beginning of this podcast, you were talking about. Um, how it seems like it's not that the problem just now happened. It's just that we're just now waking up to right. it. I see a parallel here between what's going on in, in public schools and, and what's going on in churches. And that I think for so long parents and I'll say dads specifically dads have just outsourced their mm-hmm. jobs. They're like, Oh, the spiritual health of my kids here go, youth pastor, mm-hmm. you, you, you handle that, right? Oh, the right. education of my kids, here you go, public school system, you mm-hmm. guys handle that, right? And it's just kind of like right now, it's like we're waking up and we're seeing all this stuff and we're like, oh, wait, how did this happen? I'll tell you how I think it happened. It happened because the dads have been asleep on the sideline yeah. for a long time and now we're like, well, if you don't like what's happening with your kids, maybe you get involved, Yeah, yeah. right? I mean, both at church mm-hmm. and at school. Would you, would you agree with
2: this? Yeah, I would, uh, you know, and I'm going to say that I'm even kind of guilty of it even outsourcing the faith piece. Right. You know, um, there's been times, there's been seasons where there's been so much going on in life that, you know, faith really wasn't front and center for me. And, uh, to be, I grew up, um, in, in an Irish Catholic family. Um, and I would say from the time in middle school on, there wasn't really much more of a focus for my family. When I was in elementary, we went to school. We went to church every Sunday. Um, my grandparents went twice a week. In the 90s, I don't know if that was maybe when things started to change, but also we just kind of stopped going to church. Mm-hmm. And so that didn't really become, you know, it wasn't important to me anymore because as I was growing up, that was something that then was absent. Um, when I went into the Air Force, um, I'll never forget the very first time I had the option to go to – a Protestant mass. Now, they would come in and they would say everyone's looking to get out of the basic training dormitory That's right, for a man. little bit. Hey, you know, so for church anything church at basic, <laughs> so they didn't have it. So they had the the whole list of all the different services that they were providing. There wasn't anything on there for Catholic at that time. Hmm. But I wanted to go, and a couple of buddies were like, "Just go, go on to the Protestant one." So we went, and I'm coming from a traditional Catholic church where the only music was a pipe organ. Yeah, and I walked in there and there was people playing guitar there was people playing drums and i just went numb because yeah. i felt that that wasn't what i was used to i thought have i been missing something but secondly you know i was used to like what are they doing that's too loud for church yeah. you know but that actually opened my eyes to, I to know a... you
0: go to clover hill
2: yes <laughs> <laughs> right now i go to clover hill <laughs> you know but you start to open your eyes and realize that oh there's not just one way to worship yeah. You know, there's not just one way to follow your faith. But as I kind of went through my life, had kids, you know, deployment, just always working, you know, church wasn't a big part of our life. Since we've been back here, it has been a big part of our life. And uh, we we try to be as committed as we can uh, to go. If if we're not going to the church, we have it on the TV. I mean, that's one of the coolest things that came out yeah. of COVID was, uh, you know, hey, yeah. Park your butt on the couch. You know, here we go. Uh we're gonna at least if, if we're not going, you know, yeah. if we're not gonna make it there in time, we're watching it here. And um I think really getting plugged in with that faith community, it's done wonders. It's done wonders for me. Um, and I feel I have a lot to grow yet. I feel like uh you know, I, I'm at I'm at the jump off point where I'm not I'm not a hundred percent in yet. I'm not afraid to like admit that. I yeah, you know, I I I wish I you know, I wanna focus, I wanna grow myself spiritually and I wanna be more connected with God. And I do know that I want to make myself a better person. And I wanna instill that on on my kids. And I do by, you know, by by making them go, but I want them to also not go just because parents are making them go. Yeah. You know, I want them to truly, you know, have a love for God and to really feel that, uh, that they truly need to be, have that in their life. Um, and so that's what now, it's taken me to I'm forty one years old, but to really try to strive and bring that into yeah. my fi- family dynamic a lot more than I have. And and to be honest, my wife has pushed for it a lot more than I have. And I haven't been that male role model to really be the one to say, no, let's go. You know, we're going. We're we're gonna get plugged in. We're going to uh do what we can, you know, for the community. Um, uh, but I'm 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 I've been waking up to that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm trying to be more and more.
1: Well, our, our motto in Men's Alliance is tribal, rugged, real. So we mm-hmm. appreciate
2: you being real right yeah, now yeah, with that yeah. story.
1: And you got um kids. How old I are do. your kids?
2: So I have a 19-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 13-year-old. Oh, wow. So they're all in the public school system? They are. Uh, oldest son's down at ODU. So he's a freshman yeah. in college. Uh, and then I have two that are at Cosby and one at Bailey Bridge. Okay.
1: And so it's, speaking of, you know, you touched on COVID. What was it like, the insider's perspective of the yeah. education system during COVID? How well, do you think that was handled?
2: Well, I'm gonna be honest, it was like uh, a total mess. So I was um, in 2003, end of 2002, when I was in the Air Force, I was stationed in Europe. Things were starting to go south. It looked like we were gonna go into Iraq, right? Which we eventually did. Um, a lot of moving pieces, munitions and things, basically things just went nuts. So basically you're you're gonna be working, you know, like 16 hour shifts don't ask when you're getting a day off, you yeah, know, like it's right. wartime and, and this is what we're going to be continuing to do in a way that's almost what it felt like mm-hmm. when COVID happened, because there was no roadmap. Um, no one really knew what it was. No one knew how serious it was. Mm-hmm. No one knew if, I mean, because were, all you could do is get the news that everyone else is getting. Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing that people are catching it and dying. So you're thinking it at, at first, is this like a 50% mortality rate? If you catch yeah. this, is this a death sentence? Oh, you know, yeah. At it's the a, very
0: beginning, we all thought, you know. I mean, are there about to be bodies in the street? Right. You know, like you didn't <laughs> know
2: if this was going to be like a movie or something right. you've seen yeah. in Hollywood. Right. Something that's going to really wipe us, us and out. and uh, Smallpox. And uh, But what we realized is, you know, after a couple months, so we thought, well, how do we deal with that at the time being? We were lucky enough to be one of the school districts here in Virginia that, you know, we at least had a Chromebook for every student. Mm-hmm. Now the the push went to like more of digital education years ago. You don't have people that are printing the textbooks anymore. Everything's digital subscription. It's just unfortunate. That's how education has to evolve. Just like we do with phones and everything else. Yeah. At least we had that technology to give the kids, but what we didn't count on all the kids having was access to the internet. So yeah. that was the other piece of the puzzle. So then we had to go down this road of, well, how do we get some of these kids access that, um, that don't have it, so we worked with Comcast, we worked with a number of the other foundations that uh, step up to to do a lot of different uh, help mechanisms for our kids to get hotspots out to them. We parked buses at school so that parents could drive their kids to a parking lot and have internet access for their kids, you know, but, but at the same time, parents, we were all in survival mode too, because our world didn't really stop. It might've stopped momentarily, right. but they all expected us to be right back on our A game and so, what ended up happening was, time started to pass. There wasn't a clear plan that came from the state. There wasn't a clear plan that came from the federal government. So then it was kind of the time to step up and say, "We we ourselves need to make a plan. We need to get our kids back in school." Um, unfortunately, at the time, there was just a lot of fear and everything. Yet, but uh, you know, the bodies weren't stacking up after five, six months, and uh, you know, the things weren't happening that we all kind of feared. And we said, you know, in my opinion, one of the best things that we could have done for kids was start to get them back on a normal routine. It's just like if you'd have any other type of tragedy in your family, one of the best things you could do for those kids is show them that, you know, hey, this is part of life, but this is, you have to move forward and this is what you need to do. So I knew in my heart we needed to get kids back. I fought to get them back. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, I lost that vote. The other four board members still felt at that time it was better to remain cautious, but there was a lot of other pushback too. We had a lot of, um, the teachers union influence. Sure. Didn't want to put the teachers back in the building. So it wasn't just about students. It was safety of folks. And then, you know, on the, on the county side, well, risk management is a safe to have our people in buildings, you know, and then, you know, they were like, right, well, let's see what the state says. Well, the problem is the state's not saying anything. The local government's not saying anything. So someone has to take the lead. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It seems like everybody was afraid to make yeah. any decision. Yeah. You know,
0: it's great to hear, you know, that you were, you were voting for that. You know, mm-hmm. none of us. I mean, maybe it was accessible, but we just didn't know where to go find it. But like seeing like who's voting and for what. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said at the beginning, just to know there were five was interesting. and then to know that you were, you were the lone vote um, trying to get us back. I appreciate that.
1: I would hate being a kid today.
0: Yeah. 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 It's tough. I know that my, my oldest, he said that middle school uh, was the worst three years of his life. Yeah. You know? And I was like, whoa, you know, and he never said that he never said anything like that while he was in middle school. Right. Yeah. Right. That was all like in hindsight. And then, um, you know, I had another, uh, son go through middle school and that was actually the, the reason why we, we pulled him out Yeah, where it was, it was going so South that we were like, okay, you know, I made the decision one night while I was tucking him into bed Mm -hmm. and I just yelled down the hallway to my wife. I was like, um, Braden's not going to school tomorrow. He's going to be in homeschool starting <laughs> <Yeah>. tomorrow. <laughs> Cause what he was telling me yeah. was so bad. I what, was like, What was he telling? We're not, you? we're not doing that. Like, what were the things that you were hearing? Um that and this is a totally different topic, but it would yeah, be a yeah. good one to have. Um, he was facing and, and it was not the first one. So he was facing another all day in school detention yeah. where he would have to sit in a room and and write by himself. And I was like, why, what, what did you do? What happened? And he said, uh, for being disruptive in class. And, um, we had a parent teacher conference with every one of his teachers Mm -hmm. that year. And every single one of them said the same thing. They were like, Oh, he's such a good kid. He's so respectful. We love him. He just can't sit still. He's up Mm -hmm. walking around and i just felt like we were trying to force a Mm -hmm. a square peg right into a round hole and Mm -hmm. and somebody um, a a mentor friend of mine told me this he said you know a lot of these public schools they treat boys like broken girls Mm -hmm. like they're Mm -hmm. trying to get them to act and and so you know my son was very social so he didn't like the idea of public i mean of a homeschool at first right and then um, he was like, no, I've got all of my friends. I don't want it. And I told him, I was like, you know, you can do um, just like one math problem and then go climb a tree. Yeah. yeah. And then you can come back in and do another problem and then go jump on the trampoline. And when I said that, he goes, okay, I'll do homeschool. <laughs> yeah. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and he's been doing it for years. And every year we give him the option to go back to public school. Right. And now he's like, no way. Yeah, no way. And he's in a he's in a big co-op. Yeah. So he gets total freedom. So I think like, you know, and maybe this is a, a good topic for for men to hear with boys, mm-hmm. rambunctious, rowdy, um, energetic, disruptive boys that can't sit still. I think when we try to force and I know this happens to girls, too, with ADHD, we are trying to force them into this mold that they don't yeah. fit in. Um, It's the same effect you get when you try to force a kid um, who's who's left handed to write with With the the right right hand.
2: What we need to wake up to is the reality that just the public school systems may not be the 100 percent solution for our kids. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is one of the things also that. I mean, one of the reasons I'm running for the house is, uh, you know, seeing this kind of firsthand. I know that last year they talked about educational savings accounts. Some other states have done some innovative things where if public schools doesn't work for your child, there are other options out there. Mm -hmm. There's homeschooling. Um, There is private schools. Now, private schools cost money, and we all know that. But if you would choose to take your child to a uh, private school, then that money should fall. The state's money should follow your child, mm. you know, and what, that happen- be nice. <laughs> what What ends up happening now is, uh, you know, that money that the state would pay. So for every student that we have in school, it's roughly about $4,700 the state gives per child. Okay. The rest comes from the local government. Uh, so from your County and a portion comes from the federal, small portion comes from the federal government. Mm. Well, if you decide to homeschool your child, mm-hmm. Okay. yeah, the county doesn't pay that portion because they're not in the seat, but the state also doesn't have to pay that portion. So that tax money that you're paying in, where does it go? Yeah. Yeah. So the reality is, why shouldn't follow that child? Public education maybe is not the sole solution for every child. Yeah. And there are some private schools out there that are doing it a lot better. Um, There are some public schools out there that are doing it a lot better. And the reality is, how do we learn from each other? But when we force everyone to go to public schools, we really do two things. Chesterfield County, we don't have, you know, we are busting at the seams of some of our schools. So we have larger class sizes. We still do an excellent job, in my opinion. I, you know, I think Chesterfield County Schools is still the premier public school district in Virginia. Yeah. However, you know, if that can be alleviated at all with some private options, um, that may work better for the parents. That may work better for the kids. I think that also the idea of, I think the governor's calling them lab schools, but for the longest time we call them charter schools. I was just going to bring that mm-hmm. up. Like, when are we going to get some charter schools? So Virginia is allowed to have charter schools, which right. is kind of wild. What needs to happen is if someone wants to start a charter school, um, what they do is they have to follow particular state regulations on what provisions they need to provide at the school, And then they petition that county so they can come to us. If they were going to be in Chesterfield County and someone was going to start a charter school and they have all their ducks in a row, they would basically file a petition to us, the school board, and we would grant it. And then they'd be able to start a charter school. The way that a charter school works is, uh, you know, because it would be limited seats, is that it's normally a lottery system that, Yeah. Uh, parents would sign up for a certain number of kids. So think of like code RVA, not sure if you heard it. That's like an example of a charter school where it's a regional school where, uh, it opened a few years ago. Um, it's hosted down in Richmond, but it takes kids from about eight different counties. Um, and if you were into coding and things like that, and it was pretty much a school that focused more on STEM type stuff. Right. Mm. Um, what we're trying to do is kind of establish that own thing, our own thing here in Chesterfield County, doing the same thing with our career and technical programs is what we're doing because we're offering a lot of that same stuff here in Chesterfield. But if we had a charter school come in, and let's just say they could take 400 kids, they would apply uh, and and be signed off by uh, by the school board for a particular number of years, and then they have to come back to get their their charter renewed. So Richmond City has one. They have Patrick Henry Elementary School. Hmm. And Patrick Henry Elementary School is doing good. Um, it's doing better than some of the surrounding school. schools right up the street. Smaller class sizes, um, and they're able to focus more on individual kids. It works better for them, right? And so I think as a state, we need to look at putting the kids first and putting parents in that driver's seat to make those decisions. Because right now, if you want to send your kid to a private school, it is expensive. Yeah. And it's not going to be the so, the sole solution that the uh, $4,500 or the $4,800 that come from the state, we know that that's not going to cover the tuition. It's a start. It's a start. It's a help. Now, right. how do you go through? How do you look at different ways to increase that? How do you look at scholarships for low income? You know, there's there's going to be a number of different things that all go into this, but it's a start. We've got to start the ball moving. Um, but really, I think that that's where Virginia needs to go with education, just like we're seeing Florida has, has done. And we've seen Arizona doing the same thing. I'll tell you
0: as a parent, that would be great to uh, get back some of that tax money Mm -hmm. that we're, we're given. And then we're homeschooling our kids. Right. Right. So we're putting them in um, Mm co-ops, you know, which we have some really great Christian homeschool Mm -hmm. co-ops around here for people that you, you like the idea of homeschool. Yes. uh, But you're not a teacher. And you right. don't want to be, right? You're like, is there yeah. any way I can homeschool them in somebody else's home? Yeah, You know, we were like, yes, there is. It's it's a co-op and it, and it's a good alternative. So, yeah, man, I'd love to hear about these different ideas that are out there. Um, so you mentioned you're running. Tell us a little bit more about that. You're, what are you running for?
2: So running for the House Delius, the 73rd District, which is uh, solely encompassed inside Chesterfield County. It's the entire western section of Chesterfield County. Um, And it is roughly about 65% of what I currently represent on the school board, the Matoka district. Um, So, you know, I feel like I have a lot of name recognition out there. Uh, People know that I did stand up for parents to get kids back in school, I stood up to make sure that we didn't have to get our athletes vaccinated when the Virginia high school league won it. Uh, students to be vaccinated, Yeah, Um, but I've also led the charge on, uh, you know, with my other board members to make sure that we've increased teacher pay. Over the last three years, we've increased teacher pay over 20% uh, on average, and uh, it's the right thing to do. This year, the county is going to be doing that with their police and their fire as well. They're going to be making strides because for the longest time, I think as society, we have not put the type of uh, financial respect on these most important positions. And now we're starting to see it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there there's gaps places and and we need to take care of our folks better. Um, some of the things that I would hope to achieve, you know, uh, to be part of the team would be to help the governor get a lot of his initiatives across the line this past year. There was a lot of good legislation that was put out there that unfortunately was killed in different subcommittees and didn't make it across from one crossover from the House to the Senate to send it back uh, to the House. And, um, you know, I want to be part of that team to help them get some of those things through because there are some really good things there that I think really could help people in in Virginia we have to make sure that we keep our tax rates as low as possible um and if we are overspending on particular items we basically have to do a purge just like we would in anyone else's budget if there's things that we're not getting the bang for the buck are we going to continue to throw money at it or are we going to find a way to improve it or are we going to find a way to move away from it I yeah. think uh You know, that money could be used for a lot of other good initiatives. Um, You know, education is one of them. I I think that uh, it would be monumental to change the way that we look at education in Virginia. And by offering private options and going down the savings account kind of rabbit hole on this, I think that we would find probably five to 10 years from now, uh, you know, we wouldn't want to look back at what we did before because we're really limiting people now. Um, the House of Delegates, uh, you know, you can find, you can look me up at www.harderforva.com. Um, go to my website, sign up for some of my uh, my email listings that come out. We send uh, probably two, three times a month. You're going to get an email that uh, shows, uh, you know, lets you know what's going on in the area. When we're having meet and greets when we're going to be out knocking doors. If I receive endorsements from folks, but we're really just taking our message out to people's doors. Um, we're out knocking, uh, we always need support. Uh, you, you came know.
1: and knocked on my door i'm we sure did. i'm sure you remember me yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> so, awesome we yeah. will put your website
0: it's in our show notes yeah. um i'm you know i'm glad we had this conversation because it's good it's important that as christians we don't withdraw from the public arena right right when we see things going south when we see these these videos of craziness and stuff on youtube Um, we should lean into it, right? We should, we should run towards the gunfire, yeah, right? And we need to get in there, roll up our sleeves and make it a better place, um, as Christians, but also just as men, Mm -hmm. right? We've talked about, um, putting more men back in the, um, education system. Um, and so, you know, you were, you were the man on the school board, uh, you know, and now we want you to be, um, one of the Christian men, you know, as a delegate, um, And we've got to keep putting God, putting family, um, putting these things um, in the control of the parents, right. Um, And, and, and continue this push that we're seeing right now, where we've got this little bit of momentum, where we're starting to get our eyes open to, to some of these problems. We're starting to wake up and starting to make these course corrections. And I just hope that we can keep this momentum going. So, um, you know, we're excited about what you're doing. And also, uh, I'm going to publicly call you out, uh, for being at Clover Hill <laughs> and you need to go to our Clover Hill men's Alliance tribe. Okay. All right. It's called Victor tribe. Um, check it out on our website. And, uh, man, we were just there, uh, for their wild game dinner. Yeah. their are F- phenomenal event. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of sad. Love that up. church. Love Clover Hill. Oh, love what the men there are doing. Um, check them out. Check out Clover. They're Monday nights. Yep. Monday night, um, they meet behind the church. Um, go check them out. Lee Switzer, tribe leader there. Uh, any last, any last comments? I mean,
1: this has just been great. Thank you for coming on. Of course. I mean, you've answered so many questions. I think everybody's going to enjoy this. It's, Absolutely, and um, one of the most memorable ones I think to date. So, thank you for coming. On. Thank you for everything you're doing in the community. No, you're I see your big posters out
0: there yeah. down Hall Street. <laughs> I'm like, I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we need you to come back on and do yeah. another one. Okay. Um, when you win. After you're elected. All yeah. right. We'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't, uh, don't outgrow us. I won't. I won't. Right. Thank you guys
2: for having me on. appreciate it. All right. Yeah. Thanks
0: for being here. Look forward to seeing you around the fire. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Men's Alliance Podcast find your tribe at mensalliancetribe.com or maybe you're the man to start one in your area and send us your questions or comments to info at mensalliancetribe.com. We'd love to hear from you and we look forward to seeing you around the fire soon.